Hello, ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, college football fans across the nation and around the world. This is Tim May with the Tim May Show. Yes, I'm excited. Uh, the opening of preseason camp is upon us. Uh, by the end of the week, Ohio State will have jumped into preseason camp for the 2023 season. I always get excited when I get to watch anything even remotely related to live football. And joining me in that excitement, I think, even though this young man, the son of a lawyer, uh, keeps a quite an even keel. Uh, I've gotten to know him now over the last, what, uh, nine months. And Andy Backstrom, number one, welcome back to the Tim May Show, uh, a late joiner of the Letterman Roadcast way back in November of 2022. Now you're back for the full season. But uh, like I said, welcome back to the Tim May Show. Thanks, Tim. We're back from Indianapolis. We were there for the Big Ten Media Days. We've left the Slippery Noodle and Indy, and now we're back talking Ohio State and Columbus. You know, you can you can always leave the Slippery Noodle, but you're never going to get it out of your mind. I'll just leave it at that, uh, Andy. <laughs> and by the way, I hope they did give you your ID back. And don't take that as a shot, because uh, the longer you can get ID'd in this world, the better. But I digress. Uh Andy, just real quick, uh, I've got a, an extended little interview session with Bill Carollo, the head of the Big Ten Conference officials, well, football officials, and it's pretty interesting stuff, especially about six or seven minutes in when we start talking about the call and then the the non-call of the call. And, of course, I'm referring to the Marvin Harrison Jr. situation uh, against Georgia, which Marvin Harrison Jr. out of the game at the end of the third quarter a big time hit in the back of the end zone flag was thrown. Uh, but upon video review, the flag was picked up targeting had been called. And uh, it's always been my conjecture from the moment that happened, that it was at the least a personal foul. And you know, what's funny, Bill Carollo basically agrees with me, but you know, of course with explanation, right. But uh, we'll get into that and his conversations uh, as he alludes to that he had with Ryan day, uh, in the aftermath of that and and some other things about the Big Ten and its officiating and how things are going to be a little bit different even this year. They're going to have a central uh, a central review center, much like the NFL has. It's going to be based in Pittsburgh this year because that's where the equipment is. It's going to be moving to the Chicago area into the Big Ten offices uh, for next season. But uh, just getting into why they need that, why it's, a, once again, another step forward for the Big Ten. You know, Woody Hayes was calling for video replay back in the seventies. So was Bear Bryant. And it, they didn't quite have the equipment to necessarily get that done uh, because they wanted as perfect a, an atmosphere as possible on the field from an officiating standpoint. Thought your guys sometimes got cheated, but uh, it, it is a big step forward, isn't it? Yeah. I mean, it's pretty crazy how one play can change the conjecture, not only a game, but a season for Ohio state. If they had just gotten that personal foul assessed, you have to figure they punched the ball in, into the end zone there and go up three scores. And then at that point, is Georgia coming back? Probably not. And then you're looking at a national championship game against TCU, which Ohio State probably wins, considering that was the most lopsided national championship game we've ever seen uh, with TCU and Georgia. So it's just, I mean, you can obviously go back and say the defense should have played better and you can't hang on one call, but it's crazy how that call and others during the 2022 season and seasons past can really just change the way everything goes. Okay. We'll get to that in a little while. Cause we're going to, like I said, I want to have a little, uh, uh, what I call it. Is it prologue? What was it? What's prologue is prologue the beginning or at the yep. end? Huh? 
Prologue's beginning. Epilogue is at the end. See, I knew you'd know that. I know you. I knew you'd know what those know what those uh, words mean because you're the son of a lawyer. But I digress. Uh, the the thing you know most, and, and keep it fairly succinct. The thing you know most about Ohio State, the Ohio State football team, uh, going into the start of preseason camp at the end of this week is the offensive line is not close to being set, and that they're okay with that and that they're going to be flexible with that going forward. I think that's the biggest thing that I took away from Big Ten Media Days, that I took away from all of our media sessions in the spring and going into fall camp. Biggest thing I know is there, there, and I think it's legit, there is a sense of confidence by the defense, everybody on the defensive side of the ball, that things are going to be a lot different than they were last year. And by that, I mean, uh, the word, the catch word, as we well know, uh, Jim Knowles even used it uh, way back in June when we were talking to him or late late May. Consistency, man, that's what they're striving for. And if they can get that consistency, this has a chance to be one of the great flip jobs. You know, I thought last year was pretty good earlier in the year. Then things kind of got away from them from a big play standpoint. Uh, opposing teams got some matchups they, that they saw on video and took advantage of, especially in those last two games. But uh I think this could be one of the great turnarounds, much like from 2018 to 2019 defensively for Ohio State. So that's what I know for sure. I, I I just feel like I know for sure that things are on an upward track there. One thing that's a big, and you just mentioned, you know, the offensive line, they don't know who the starting offensive, who's going to be on the starting offensive line yet from, from point to point to point to point to point. Did I name five points? Yeah. Uh, what's one thing that you think really – is that, and don't name quarterback because we'll get into that. What is one thing that clearly Ohio State, one of the uh, expected to be one of the top ranked teams in the country going into the season, as it has been for several years now? What is one thing that's really that's you're it's a head scratcher about this team right now as you look at it? I don't know how they're going to manage all these safeties. I mean, they've got all of these guys back there, and they brought in a couple more. You have Jihad Carter that comes in from Syracuse. He's a three-year starter over there. And he was an all-ACC performer. And, and I'm trying to figure out how he's going to get onto the field. You got Sonny Styles that they want to play up near the line of scrimmage, maybe that nickel spot. You got Ken Martinez. You've got Lathan Ransom, Josh Proctor. I mean, the list goes on and on. And I think the question for me is there's a lot of talent there, but are you using the pieces in the right places at the right times? And that was a big issue for Ohio State at the end of last season. Yeah, especially when they're talking about possibly using a corner in that nickel slot thing a lot more than – Maybe they did last year. Maybe it could be Jair Brown. Who knows? But uh, will they even have three safeties on the field as much as they did a year ago? That's that's a good that's a good point. Uh, you know, I'm, my big question is Evan Pryor is 100 ready to go. Travion Henderson's 100 ready to go. Mike Williams. This is according to Ryan Day a week ago. I don't. I'm, I'm not, not under the impression anything has changed. Uh, Chip Trainum, obviously, and Dallin Hayden, just the name of the few of the running backs. <laughs> The deepest running back room, in my opinion, from top to bottom, quality-wise in the country. And the question is, much like you just said, they usually only play one running back at a time. And I'm curious to see how that shakes down because they had plans for Evan Pryor a year ago, and he gets hurt in preseason camp, as you and Spencer Holbrook and I talked about several times, especially last week. So what are the plans there, man? I'm just curious to see because – I think all of those guys, based on the duty they turned in 
and uh, and filled in the the gaps, so the breach, so to speak, like with Dallin Hayden and Chip Trainum when they really needed them last year uh, at the end of the year. I think all those guys deserve a shot. And to say they none of them, to say somebody still has to prove themselves, that would be Evan Pryor. Obviously, you heard me getting that argument with uh, Brian Hartline about that uh, back in the spring. But uh, I'm just curious to see what they do at that running back spot. And because uh, they're loaded there. We talk about the wide receivers all the time. You don't have to keep saying they're loaded at wide receiver because they're the most loaded team in the nation at wide receiver. But I believe that also goes for the running back room. What do you think? Well, yeah, it feels like Evan Pryor has just been forgotten about. And when you're not playing, you're not talked about, which right. that makes sense. But, you know, Tony Alford talked about that in May. He's like, yeah, no one's really talking about him. And that makes sense. But I haven't forgotten about him. And he mentioned how he was – you know, really great in his recovery. There were some, obviously some hard days in that process when you tear your ACL and he was supposed to be the number three back last season. He was supposed to be the change of pace to Mayan Williams and Trayvon Henderson. He was supposed to play a lot. And when that happens, you come off a great spring like that and you get the taste of that success only to have it ripped away from you. That's really difficult, but he stuck around. He didn't transfer. He stayed in the program. And yes, he has an uphill battle ahead of him. He's got four guys that are really ahead of him right now in that depth chart. But that doesn't mean in, this, in the fall camp he can't have another impressive slate of practices and, and stack those good days, as they like to say, and pull his way up to either three or four on that depth chart. Yeah. That sounded like a, a line from Goodwill Hunting, stack those days. No, that, that's not Goodwill Hunting. That was another movie. Uh, anyway, I get my movies mixed up. I'm 69. But I'll tell you what, the hair went up on the back of my neck, though, because I remember standing there. It happened to be in the indoor facility when Evan Pryor came back. Uh, uh, and I, I'm not sure whether he'd had his surgery yet or not, but he was on crutches and he walked, came in the big door there that goes into the Woody Hayes Athletic Center indoor field and went and basically hopped all the way down the field and then leaned against the east wall down there and was just staring ahead, staring down the field. And I'm just going, man, imagine being that guy because there'll be somebody, there always is in football who gets banged up in preseason camp right when you're on the cusp of all this work you've done. And then boom, it goes out the window uh, just by some freak accident or somebody rolling into you, or, you know, it could be a hard hit, but all this work you've done to hopefully get to play in 12 regular season games and the postseason, and it goes right out the window. And how guys come back from that is always amazing to me, you know, in, in many respects. And most, most of the time they come back stronger these days than they were before they got hurt. Isn't that amazing? Well, look at Cam Babb. Had, yeah. I think, four separate knee injuries that caused him to miss seasons at one point in high school or in college. He came back and probably had maybe one of the best moments of the 2022 season last year, catching his lone touchdown against Indiana. And, you know, that is just an inspiring story in itself. Obviously, his faith he talks about a lot. But it's just a really, really cool thing to see when these guys pick themselves up they don't quit the sport. They don't enter the transfer portal and they stick around and earn their way back onto the playing field. And I think with Evan Pryor, you know, who's to say he doesn't have a bit of that offseason magic that he had last year. I think that running back room, as you mentioned, Tim, is really fascinating because there's always injuries at running back every season, no matter how lucky you are, you're going to have injuries. So you have to be ready to play. And, and I don't think it's uh, out of the question that he plays a big role at some point this season, maybe not week one, but maybe some point this season. Well, I don't know one guy that's going to play a big role, barring injury, and, you know, knock on wood on that statement, uh, Marvin Harrison Jr. And uh, 
leads me to my intro a while ago when I talked about having uh, uh, this little conversation with Bill Carollo, the head of Big Ten officials, about six minutes into this video. If if you want to fast forward, if you uh, that's okay with me. It won't hurt my feelings as long as you're watching the video or listening to the podcast. But uh, the bottom line is we uh, we talk about that situation in the back of the end zone, the flag that was thrown, the flag that eventually was picked up because of uh, video review. Uh, it was determined to be not targeting, but he knocked the man out. Uh, the Georgia defender did. So at the least, it was a a personal foul getting head in the uh, getting hit in the uh, head and neck area, like uh, Marvin Harrison Jr. was. He got knocked out. He didn't get knocked out hitting his head on the turf. He got knocked out before he hit the turf. And uh, so talk with Bill Carollo about that, and probably. And what probably should have been called there, and a few other items uh, like the Big Ten. We start off with the Big Ten going to this replay center uh, this year, where uh, they're going to be the aide de camp, so to speak, of the replay booth in the stadium. This center will be based in Pittsburgh, and they will be they will be eyeballing every game that's going on in the Big Ten this year, and aiding, perhaps even jumping ahead uh, with 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 some maybe some. Uh, some hints, some uh, tips, and uh, who knows, even some rulings for the for the replay uh, official on site at games. It's a it's pretty interesting where we're, where where it's headed in the Big Ten. But without further ado, let's get to that conversation with Bill Carollo. Which the manufacturer of replay, they have the facility, they have the people, they have the. Uh, the equipment so we're going to do it there this fall starting our first game on Thursday you know at the start of the season and go all the way through the season and then eventually our plan is to build it hopefully in Chicago uh, and it'll be ready for the 24 season so this replaces the official in the booth at the stadium no, or what is no it's, yeah. it's it's not going to replace I mean, it's going to be very similar to the NFL model okay. uh, I've hired some people from the NFL to run this for me uh, and, some, and some people that have college experience that know the rules and those replay um, and they'll, they'll be overseeing that in the center in Pittsburgh and then moving into Chicago. Um, but um, it, uh, it's, it's, a, uh, it's an addition to, and this, the replay center, video, the replay video center, they'll be in there and they're going to be listening. They're in a listen mode. They aren't going to be coming right in and say, okay, stop the game and running it. The people that are in charge, the rule book still has the replay person at the stadium making the final decision. Okay. So I have people there just listening. If they're going down the wrong path, or we have access to every camera angle at a game, let's say there's 16 camera angles and they didn't get to the high end zone that shows his foot was out of bounds first, then he caught it. Yeah, he caught the ball, but he came from out of bounds, he was first to touch it. So if they're going down the wrong path and they're going to make a mistake, they will call in and say, check the high end zone shot, do this. Um, or if they're going to snap it right away, they'll say, stop the game. And then we'll have a regular replay, and the referee will come over to the replay person, they'll have it, and they're just going to listen. And they're just going to make sure no catastrophic mistake is made. And the catch-no-catch, catch, the targeting calls, the, the subjective calls are consistently officiated. And that's really what we're trying to do. And it, you'll have somebody dedicated to each game, like when yes. there are multiple games going on? Yep. Right? So what is the certification process for those guys, are they former officials or are they? They're all former officials, but they're all replay people. They know how to run the equipment. They have their own equipment just like the guy oh, or gal at the okay. stadium. So it's a duplicate really, right? Fault tolerant, if you will. So, but we were the only major conference not doing it. We 
had some issues with some of the other conferences, how they were doing it. But all four major uh, pro sports around the country and Canada, um, they all did. I went to them five years ago, looked at them, how are they doing it? So I've been thinking about it. Um, but we just didn't pull the trigger till now because we've got a really, really good replay staff. Yeah. And they're all trained. But I had to pull some of my top people. I'm going to put some top people in Pittsburgh to over just watch over, overlook someone's shoulder and try to give us more consistency. So if I can train three or four people watching these games at a time, it's a lot easier to do that and get consistency than 24, 25 replay people that, whether on the field or upstairs, you look, we'll all look, we'll all look at the play right, like right now, you know, I think that's a catch. Oh, yeah. I'm not sure if it's a catch. If I was moving, did he really lose control of it? You know, that type of thing. So I can get better consistency than me. And the coaches will like it because they know they're going to overturn this call. I'm going to challenge it because the ball's moving. He lost his right hand came off the ball. And you're going to be there. Uh, yeah, well, I'm going to, I've got a staff. Um, I've got some people. Uh, I call it the A team that, you know, one is a head referee, one's my top replay person, and one I hired from the NFL who did made the decisions for the NFL for the last seven years, eight years. He's coming to the Big Ten. Who is that? What? Uh, Russell Yurk. Okay. Is, is is the NFL, and he's been there, I think, probably 17 years in the NFL. But he, um, for the last seven, eight years, he was, he's was he been making the decisions in New York. So he's coming to the Big Ten. Right. So when I say it's the A-team, I have some really good people that Dean Blandino and I are really confident that, that we'll have some pretty good success, consistent. So our first game we'll have, you won't see it, but you, you'll, you'll probably, you know, you might hear about that. They weighed in and what, who are they talking to? And they'll do some other things too. They'll, they'll say it's a first down at the 44 yard line and they may call down and say, put the ball at the 46, you missed it by two yards. And it can happen, you know, an out of bounds running up the sideline. Did he? So they, they'll make, we call that a quick review. And the quick review, don't stop the game for two and a half minutes. Let's just put the ball at the right spot. Now you want to make a major change, incomplete to complete and yeah. third down versus first down and all that, that's different. But this, if, if it's administrative, we're going to do some quick reviews, and that's who you'll see the referee walking over, and he's 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 talking to the replay guy who's talking to, the, you know, maybe the command center. Yeah. So the command center talks to the replay person who talks to the ref. That's the yeah. way it works. Well, they can all three can talk. Okay. And they all can listen. And the, in Pittsburgh, they can hear what the side judge is telling the referee. Okay, I got you. Yep. But I don't want them talking. Right. I want them listening. Yeah. And unless there's a an error that they're going to make. We'll, we'll fix it and they will step in and they're kind of just blessing everything and, and we've had some really good success on replay and tar I mean major calls are targeting but uh, but you know you look at the, some of the playoff games we had this year Ohio State had a couple Michigan had a couple plays uh, they had command centers so it's not full tolerant I mean there were some errors in the playoff games um, this year but you know there's errors when I was refereeing there's errors I mean all the time too but, um, but it, it will eliminate, I think, some big errors if someone else is looking and they're the right people. The, the Marvin Harrison Jr. play that knocked him out of the game, there was a flag thrown. It was eventually picked up. Uh, Ryan Day, I know, has probably had conversations with you about it. Uh, whatever. What, what is your view of that now in retrospect and, uh, and then going forward? Because it, it would seem like, if anything, it was at least a personal foul, the way the hit was. What, Explain that, one, yeah. Bill. I mean, it wasn't our guys. Right. It wasn't my officials. Play is over. I've talked to Ryan a few hours after the game. I've talked to him multiple times. Um, and 
it's a, it was a big, big play. And there was another play in that game that got into replay on the yeah. first down at the end of the game. I mean, so I, I'm not here really to hash through the problems. But when you have a play that like that, uh, and most people think it's a person, at least a flag for personal foul, they didn't call it, they didn't execute that well on it. They should have personal foul with targeting if you want to take one right. off and all that stuff. Um, it was a, a major call in the game. And if you call it, you have to have indisputable video evidence. It's a gray area. And they flipped it, you know, um, and that's what they thought and that's what they felt. Um, I know that a lot of people at Ohio State and fans throughout the country might have a different opinion of that. It's a tough job. And it's and I thought at, when it happened, I thought the officials did were correct on the field. And, and replay just stepped in and, and made that change. So, yeah. but, um, so hopefully, we, but we'll still continue to have plays like that that are big. But, but the way you just kind of touched on it, though, was it at least, in retrospect, because you learn from every call, right? You yeah. guys do. Was it at least a personal foul that should have been, that should have been, part of the call there? Personal foul with targeting. Is that is because that would have still given you a first down at the one or two that yard line? Called a lot on a sliding quarterback, a quarterback in the pocket or a receiver, and they'll throw the flag. And it was a cheap shot. It was gone, and yeah. you know, and then they hit him hard. It's something. It's a cheap shot, right? Yeah. So if that's and if your launching has all the indicators, I mean, you good chance you could get to that targeting call. However, um, they didn't do that, so I, I'm okay with that. Was the decision, and and NCAA looked at it, and it's a tough call, and, then, and that's their lead. Did any kind of redefinition come out of that? We didn't change anything, but I think for the most part we were calling that probably a foul most of the time um, throughout the year, the last few years. But this one, um, you know, they flipped it in their opinion. And it's always the eyes of the beholder as far as yeah. what they what they think it is, you know. Not to belabor that point, but it's belabor the point because it was a huge play in that game. Are you just, to clarify, the ideal call in the moment, as Tim was saying, would have been I a personal foul and targeting. So there was personal foul with targeting. targeting. So if let's say they, for whatever reason, and they did, they took off the targeting. At least it's you got 15 yards hanging and a first down right. on the play. You know, and it ends up with the same result. But except for the kid, the kid didn't stay in the game with this one. And we have that quite a bit. A personal foul with targeting. You know, and if he doesn't um, get him in, the, he gets him in the shoulder. But he was sliding quarterback. Okay, it's a, it's a foul. Yeah. And, and this one was. You know, it, it was a very, very tough play, close play. I thought what they did on the field was was pretty good, and and there were a few instances throughout the season that they may have flipped it, but I wasn't really comfortable with that decision. But really, there's two. So there's one discussion about should replay have overturned it. Yes. But if they also had called it on the field originally. Well, they did. They called targeting. Yeah, but right. not a, not personal foul. They yeah. would have yeah. called personal foul with targeting. Even if they flipped the targeting, the personal foul would have remained. Correct. And you actually think that would have been the proper thing? Yeah, and to I think that, that we wouldn't yeah. have as big a discussion on this. The kid gets to stay in the game, but you know, most people felt that you know, knocked the guy out. You know, yeah, got him. Is there That's, something that felt? I mean, as you said, it's a difficult business. Bang bang plays. Was there anything in the process there that fell short, though, that you're saying often on those plays it was called personal foul with targeting, and that circumstance it wasn't? Was that just a misstep? That's what that should have been called. Well, I think the room of the coordinators or the people in the rules committee, they were split on it. So it's not 
clear cut. But when you're split, what happens in replay? Call stands, right? We don't have stands in replay. So I think you work your way to that that answer. In my my just my own personal opinion. Um, I, I, if it was my guys, I would have been satisfied what they did in the field, and I, I would live with that call. Yeah. It was a dangerous, dangerous play. It was a you know foul, and it, it didn't end up that way. As they looked at the frame by frame by frame, is it rescinded from targeting because he gets it here as opposed to here? What what did you see? Well, he did get him there, but. There was contact also, if you look at all the angles, there was contact to the head too. Okay. Yeah. So now the question is, is that enough? Or is the 80% going went to the shoulder? Yeah. Okay, that's fine if it did. Mitigates it. But 20% it knocked the kid out. Yeah, he was knocked out. So I'm just saying these are really good athletes, and if you look what one of the indicators for targeting is launching, and he leaves his feet and goes up, or he's not wrapping him up with his head up and trying to move his head to the side either. So um, just a really tough call, and we'll talk about it just like we talk about Ohio State, Michigan, first down. And you guys ask me those questions all the time. Yeah. Day, you know, was it a first down? And yeah. Where's the film that shows it and all that? When, when they look at the guys inbounds or not, that's obviously been a thing. Yeah. When you're trying to determine something that is a bang-bang thing and you're going frame by frame, can that kind of take away where it seems very obvious? Yeah, some plays you actually have to, Tom, look at um, frame by frame. And some, I tell my guys, never look at frame by frame. Put on the regular speed, the line feed, we call it. Regular speed, not speed up, regular speed. And it's usually catch, no catch. Because it, if I slow up catch, no catch, I catch it, it's moving slightly, and now I really slow it down. Oh, I have it, now I've taken three steps with this. You know, yeah, it's a problem. It looks like that, that he caught it and he fumbled it. On regular speed, it's in and it's out. We want incomplete. You know, hang on to the ball. You know, so, but other ones, like whether it's in or out of bounds, or, you know, if you what, did the defender commit before or after the quarterback started to slide? That's a tough one because the quarterback in, in college, the quarterback wants to get every single yard. NFL, they're sliding five yards before yeah, the first yeah, down. They don't, five I minutes mean, ago, yeah. Yeah, they, they protect, and they're smart from that standpoint. Our guys are running too much, and it's hard for our guys to get the last second, they bail out. Yeah. You're coming in, trying to you know, you're trying to tackle the guy, and then they bail out on you, and and then did he, who hit who? You know, I mean, the defender's going to come in. Was he committed? If he was coming, committed to make that uh, tackle, if the quarterback slides late, you can't ever hit him in the head. But you might not have a, a late hit. You might not have that personal foul with targeting on that one. Yeah. If he's clearly late from that standpoint. So I like the idea on these plays. It so fast, and it's a loud collision, and it's a violent, dangerous play. I'm okay that leaning toward give him a personal foul with targeting. And if it's not targeting, and replay can prove it, forget the plays we just talked about. But if they can prove it, fine, throw it out, penalize it. When all this started, right, there was some, and I remember having this conversation with you last year about like intent, right? And it's hard to tell what's in a player's head. Yeah, you can. But, but there's an actionable thing that you don't. What did you? What was the phrase you just used? Like it was something, right? That it was there was something there that was that was too much, and it feels like when it comes to a personal foul, you say that's you can't that, do that. Well, it's, but you can get so far in the weeds of the specifics yeah. and slowing down frame by frame yep. that you you're, you lose the overall view of like, yeah. hey, you shouldn't be doing. That. Yeah, and some stuff you can, if you step back with an unbiased hat on, you know, and just say, well, that's not football. That's not what we want. 
would you want would you want your player to do that in practice to your guy? Right. Oh no, no, we wouldn't do that. You know, you know, or onside kicks. You, they don't even practice onside kicks, but they want the guys to get blown up out there. That's you know, you'll get a targeting on that too. Yeah, know, yeah. Because trying to catch it. So it's it's kind of a tricky business because it's it's subjective and it is a gray area. I mean, let's take a simple play. Is this hold? Yeah, he's got him. Got him by the jersey, but he, you know, he's not beat yet. He's moving his feet. You know, is that enough to call? Is that enough for, or is that was that his intent really? And you, if you use some just common sense, step back. And I said, well, that's that, that's not good for the game. You know, we, yeah. want, we want to get that kind of stuff. And that's what targeting started. Can I ask you one quickie? Uh, sure. Can you use replay now? Are y'all allowed to use replay now when a player retaliates? Are you allowed to go back and see what prompted possibly the retaliation? Will that ever come into meaning? A flag was thrown on this guy for retaliation, yeah. but what, what's he retaliating? Well, we look at it because he doesn't do that for nothing. So right. Let me show show me the play before the right. play before that. Oh, he's he's getting back at this guy. Yeah. Because he cut him, and we didn't call it or something yeah. like that. Yeah. You know, or, cheap shot. Are we headed to, to where that's going to be? Well, in the game. I mean, I'm just going to go back and look. And yeah. now we have a little melee or dust up or whatever. Um, Replay can help in that area. So if I'm going to throw one player out, because I saw him throw a punch, it's a good flag. You, you know, I don't care what he did. You don't be retaliating. But you may go back and get the first guy. And I always want to get the first guy, not if you throw a punch. But if if I'm the I'm the instigator and I bump knock you on your on your can, you get up and now you push me and all the flags come because I push you. Well, that's okay. But if so, someone should see the whole play and get the first guy that. Knocked him down. Yeah. I mean that's, and that's what. And so replay can actually sometimes help and just say, well, what do you got? You got a personal foul. I says, get number forty-seven. He he knocked him first, just to get it right. Yeah. So and so coaches know so, that. So y'all are doing that now, or we'll be doing trying that. Trying to. Yeah. yeah. Because we have the old two olds. Yeah. You know, on the field we're all talking to each other. Replays listening in. You know, but it's usually on the field. Hey, wait a minute. I'm just telling you, forty-seven knocked him down. I said, put the fly. I thought you were throwing on him. Don't throw on the guy. Unless he really retaliates. Yeah. But he's, I mean, he gets up and he, like taunts in his face. I mean, get the guy that knocked him down. You know. When you go I always like talking with Bill Carollo, man. He's a pretty matter of fact guy. Kind of reminds you of a cop, you know, <laughs> and in many respects <laughs> he is, he is a cop. I mean, uh, you know, we're, we're talking about football that these guys officiate, which are borderline fights every play. Right. And, uh, but just this idea of them going to that uh, a replay center this year, the Big Ten is, to help aid uh, and maybe even overrule. We'll see where that goes. Some rulings, uh, uh, Andy. It's, and, and the other thing is, is to help speed along or speed up the replay process by having, you know, more than a couple of eyes on it and some recommendations. Uh, that that Anything that speeds up the game to a certain extent in that regard is is welcome, right? Well, we talk about all the time, the Fox broadcast games that go on for hours and hours and hours and hours. And they got to find ways to speed up the game. They've already talked about this year with not having the clock stopped at their first downs. That's another thing they're trying to implement to try to speed up the game. And as far as officiating goes, I know people don't like to see the college game mimic the NFL game. But I feel like this is one where everyone kind of just needs to get on board and agree with because they're trying to get the call right. We can't have another instance like we had in the Peach Bowl. Even from an objective standpoint, if you're a Georgia fan or an Ohio State fan, you just don't like to see that happen, especially when it results in a concussion and someone having to leave the game. So whether it's targeting or another big-time call, and we've seen pass interference calls, you know, more so in the NFL than college, but sometimes really dictate the course of the game as well. So trying to get the right call 
in these kinds of situations is just incredibly important. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I keep thinking about Sean Wade getting kicked out of the uh, game in the first half against Clemson uh, several years ago in a playoff game for Ohio State, the same game where uh, uh, Jeffrey Okuda uh, knocked that ball out of T. Higgins' hands after T. Higgins caught the ball like you're supposed to with his hands. It took like three steps, and then the ball got knocked out, and it was ruled he never caught the ball. Oh, my God. I mean, oh, my. Don't get me started. Uh, but then Sean <laughs> Wade got kicked out. Just as he reached the quarterback on a blitz, the quarterback ducked, you know, and the quarterback. So basically they've gone back and just said, sometimes it's incidental. It's still a personal foul for hitting a guy in the head or head and neck area. Sometimes it's incidental though. Uh, And instead of that, it was targeting and Sean Wade was gone, you know, a major player in the game. So uh, yeah, really interesting. Uh, They're trying to get that. They're trying to get that right. They're trying to protect the players uh, not just, you know, protect the betters, you know, who are out there with big money on some of these games and stuff. They're trying to protect the players from themselves also and learn it the right way and then execute it the right way and all things uh, will work out. But uh, it's good to see them going in that direction. Now, speaking of going in a direction, I told you I wanted to play a little, not necessarily a game with you, but I wanted to ask you uh, as Ohio State heads into preseason practice, it's going to be one, like I said, one of the, uh, elite uh, teams in the country again this year by all projections. You know, uh, obviously Michigan was named the preseason favorite to win it, a third straight Big Ten championship, but that's just people jumping on the bus, right? On the school. Is it a school bus or is, a, or is it a, a bandwagon? I can't remember. But that's just everybody jumping on the school bus because we're still in college, right? Um, I got a sense Ohio State is going to bounce back this year in a big way. I've already revealed that because I think defensively they're going to be much better. I know offensively they're going to be good if, like you said, they get the offensive line figured out. But here's what what game I want want to play with you. By the end of week one, by the end of week two, by the end of week three, by the end of week four, I want you to give me, as we go down through this list, I want you to give me one guy by the end of week one people will be talking about who needs – needs to be on the field, or I can't believe they're going to would take this guy off the field. Give, give me just a, like a semi-surprise semi name of somebody you're definitely thinking about. You don't have to explain it yet. Just give me that name for Ohio State, and it could be on offense or defense. Davison Igbenosin for week one. That's what I'm going with. Let me write that down. It would be one where I may or may not know how to spell his name. <laughs> Great name, though. Oh Great heck man. yeah, that was going to be my guy. So I'll go with a I'll go with another guy, Sonny Styles. Sonny, I better put an S in front of Styles. I think he. Well, we'll get into that in a minute. Uh, week two, who is somebody who will have emerged by week two? As uh, okay, this guy's getting it done. Uh, you know, we're kind of we're kind of looking forward into the future here, but a guy that's getting it done, uh, starting lineup, maybe go ahead. Carson Hensman. Just about time. You know, we saw it in the spring, but I feel like by week two, we'll know. Josh, or you can call him Jimmy Simmons. Tim May says. Well, there's like Four Josh's on the roster, so I think we're going to have to call him Jimmy, including yeah. one potentially on the other side of things. Yeah, like uh, Josh Fryer. Yeah, and like uh, JT Tui Molua, uh said, you know, he calls him Jimmy during during the football stuff, but he calls him Josh off the field. So we'll see where that goes. 
okay, boy, this camp is heating up. Some guys are walking off, limping off. Some guys are coming on strong. By the end of week three, who's somebody we're going to be keeping in mind? Brandon Ennis. Late arrival. He'll make up for lost time. That's two ends, isn't it? I'm trying to remember. Two ends. Two ends, two, two S's, ends. right? Mm-hmm. Okay. I'm going to stay in that same genre. Carnell Tate. God bless him. What a tough, tough thing to lose your mom the way he lost his mom over the summer. Drive-by shooting. Uh, just unbelievable. And finally, by the end of week four, this is the last week of camp. Uh, clock is ticking. Uh, Indiana is uh, champing at the bit to get some Buckeye. Who's that Who's that guy that's going to like, you're going to go, everybody's going to go, okay, gotcha. Jihad Carter from Syracuse. Went under the radar in the spring. He was hurt at the end of the spring season. But I think what Jim Knowles said about him, and we'll get into that, was really yeah. intriguing. Okay. And I'm going to go with Jordan. Jordan? No, I'm not. Jordan Hancock's going to be a factor from day one. I'm going to go with Jelani Thurman. There's a big upset, right? How much I talk about Jelani Thurman? <laughs> I was huh? waiting for it, Tim. I, I was waiting for it. The Thurminator. That's all, I've already figured out his nickname, you know, just like the uh, Thurman's restaurant with that big, uh, uh, big, the big uh, hamburger they've got. I'm going to call him the Thurminator. Okay. And of course, the big one, the QB starting quarterback for week one, in, I mean, excuse me, for game one uh, for the 2023 Ohio State Buckeyes will be Kyle McCord. I think he's just got too much of an experience advantage. It's only one game, but it's another year, and it's backing up a guy, C.J. Stroud, who's the highest-drafted Ohio State quarterback in program history for two seasons. So it's hard to top. I've told you to save some of that explanation, but that's okay because you filled in the blanks while I wrote down my answer. My answer is also Cal McCord, and then I'm going to put a question mark right next to it. Because as we discuss these things, but let's go with uh, I've got a little uh, 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 some some learning aids here. By the end of week one, Andy said Davis Enigbanosin will be the guy jumping off the charts. I guarantee you, this guy can jump out of the Woody Hayes Athletic Center. And I said Sonny Styles. Give me the case for Davis Enigbanosin. I love his length, six foot two, and he just really pops when we watch him on on the field in spring yes. season. I felt like. Just from the first day, I mean, you mentioned Jelani Thurman. He stuck out physically, but in terms of play, I thought Davis and Igbenosin was my takeaway that first day we got to watch camp. And, uh, you know, I'm just really looking forward to see him really take things by the horns in, in fall camp because now he's been around the program, right? He, he gets what's going on. He's been over here from Ole Miss for, for several months now, and it's really going to be a chance for him to seize the moment. And I think that cornerback two spot, while I do think they're going to rotate guys in there, I don't think take over Jordan Hancock. Jordan Hancock won't play. I don't think that's going to be the case. But I do think that Davis Nagmanosa will be the starter day one across from Denzel Burke. Wow. Okay. That's interesting. You know, I said Sonny Styles, uh, safety, linebacker, whatever you want to call him. Just don't call him late to get on the field to make a play. 
I was going to say C.J. Hicks. They're just going to pick up where they left off in the spring, in my opinion. Uh, notice, I noticed neither one of us uh, said C.J. Hicks on any of these weeks because in our in our minds, both of these guys have already emerged. So this is like basically speaking for both of them. But clearly, Jim Knowles is going to give C.J. Hicks his shots. He's also going to give Sonny Styles his shots because uh, they both deserve it, both from the standpoint of what they did in the spring and also from the standpoint of, my goodness, these guys are five-star big-time football players. Get them on the field, right? And the sooner the sooner you get them really incorporated into what your your plans are going to be, the better. So I'm saying end of week one, uh, they, we'll be talking about these guys. Uh, the coaches will even be talking about them. Okay, by the end of week two, uh, my man, uh, uh, Andy Backstrom, said he expects Carson Hensman to uh, emerge as probably the starting center or at least uh, – putting his best foot forward. I said, Josh, call me Jimmy Simmons at right tackle. That's what I expect. Uh, the case for Carson Hensman is what? Well, I just feel like that he's already got the job kind of locked down. I mean, I know that Ryan Day wasn't going to really announce any starters after the spring season. Yeah. He wants that competition to continue. And, and I get that. You want the best out of all your guys. But it really felt like Carson Hensman was the surprise of the spring in terms of a guy that we might not have expected – to take hold of a position like he did. But going back to the NFL combine, he was someone that Luke Whipler mentioned when he was talking to the press about his, you know, endeavors in the pros. And, and he was asked, well, who, who could be next? Who could replace you at Ohio state? Because remember people thought Luke Whipler was still going to be around. You know, everyone knew that Dewan Jones and Paris Johnson were off to the NFL, but we all thought that Luke Whipler would be back for year three. Well, now he's not. And he recommended that, Hey, Carson Hinsman's a guy to keep your eye on. Yeah. Jacob James was another, but he was hurt. And just like in any position in football, if you're hurt, you're not out there. We talked about Evan Pryor. You're not being talked about. Carson Hinsman was, and he looked the part, not only in the spring game, but all through March and April. Yeah. When I named Josh Simmons, I, I agree with everything you just said. Plus, his uh, he comes from a dairy farm, dairy farming background, which means he's used to getting up early and staying up late. But uh, I digress. Uh, um, by the way, he does challenge Marvin Harrison Jr. for the first guy, I guess, in the building. And uh, to a certain extent, Cade Stover, you know, Cade Stover and Carson Hensman, two two farm boys who who saw it. But of course, uh, Cade does did 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 most of his work by by uh, sitting on a tractor, as you pointed out. Um, I said Josh Simmons only because I think he's going to solidify the fact that he is legit. Uh, that doesn't necessarily mean he's going to be that starting right tackle. I think he's going to be. I think he's going to challenge big time for it. Uh, I think the guy that's going to be coming on also is going to be Tegra Shabola because he kind of got that nasty streak going in him as a pre as a spring camp went went on last uh, back in April and I think he's going to pick up where he left off and now I think he feels a big time challenge uh probably coming his way from Josh don't or Josh call me Jimmy Simmons so we'll see where that goes but I think Jimmy Simmons was a major acquisition by this team uh, from San Diego State, a guy that uh, Justin Fry recruited when he was at UCLA, but uh, a guy from the San Diego, San Diego area decided to stay close to home for one year at least. You know, and going back to Davis and Igmanosin, by the way, the transfer, you know, he's the second, he started the second most number of games of any of the quarterbacks, you know, in the quarterback room when you think about it. Because he started what 10, 11 games yeah. at Ole Miss last year. Denzel Burke, of course, leads that category for Iowa State, but there's a reason to go with Davis and Igbenosin, right? Yeah, Jordan Hancock really has not played a lot of football. I know yeah. he's a polished recruit and, and someone that was highly touted coming out of high school, but 
when you look at how many snaps he's played, I think it's only like a couple hundred he's played in Ohio State uniform on the, on the defensive side of the ball. Right. And Davis Nabinosin's already played more than 500 snaps, and that's just in one season in the SEC, which, you know, just, just mean more, as they love to say. Yeah. Um, but, it, <laughs> yeah, I think when you look at the experience factor there and, and just, you know, the, the kind of length he brings, I think that's a good combination across from Denzel Burke. By the end of week three, uh, ladies and gentlemen, uh, uh, my friend Andy Backstrom said that he expects uh, Brennan Ennis, uh, the young wide receiver uh, from Florida who didn't come in early like uh, some of the other receivers did, he expects him to be on everybody's uh, uh, tongue in terms of, oh, my goodness, this guy's going to have to play. Uh, I'm saying Carnell Tate, but that's a little bit of a, a fudge there because we were saying that at the end of spring about Carnell Tate. But I'm just going to stick with him because, number one, I think he deserves mention every chance you get. Number two, uh, he lost his mom in a drive-by shooting incident in Chicago uh, back in July. And, wow, just uh, your heart goes out to this young man. His teammates have r- rallied around him. So have, so is the coaching staff and support staff. But uh, that pretty much uh, sums up what I've got to say about Carnell Tate on because we already know what he's all about, right? We saw in the spring. But Ennis. Tell people about Ennis. Why do you think he's going to be uh, on the tip of the tongue there at the end of week three? Yeah, first thing I'll say, I'll just piggyback off what you said, Carnell. Just impressive resolve in that situation. You know, Marvin Harrison said just a smile and just to show up after something like that happened is incredibly impressive and admirable in, in every way. So, yeah, yes, definitely thoughts and prayers out to Carnell Tate and the rest of his family. But as far as Brandon Ennis is concerned, it almost felt like he was here in the spring. He was always in the Woody. I was like, are you still finishing school or, or are you actually part of this team? You know, maybe part of him wanted to get a little bit of that success that Carnell was having. But, you know, Brandon Ennis is a very humble guy. He, he was a big peer recruiter in this recruiting class. You know, when you think about the offensive side of the ball, Luke Montgomery, who's another guy we could have mentioned in this conversation, yes. but Luke Montgomery and Brandon Ennis were two of those players who were just so big in formulating this 2023 class in terms of peer recruiting, and really rallying the troops. And I felt like, you know, when you look at his profile as someone that could come in and, and make an impact in the slot right away, yeah, I just feel like he's going to demand playing time, not by words, but by actions. And I, I think that when you look at the Ohio State wide receiving core and you go back to the ones that have really made an impact and become a star, they've all made some kind of impact as a freshman. You know, Chris Olave did it, Garrett Wilson. And you look back to Jackson Smith and Jigba, he had that crazy catch against Nebraska. There's just teasing of what will be. We saw the same thing with Emeka Ibuka and Marvin Harrison Jr. in the Rose Bowl, of course. I think that we'll see it with both Carnell Tate and Brandon Ennis this year. And I think that's going to be the next duo of the one-two punch that will really help this wide receiver core when when a lot of these guys leave. Yeah, and when you hear uh, a wide receiver coach slash offensive coordinator or offensive coordinator slash wide receiver coach uh, Brian Hartline talk about Brandon Ennis, he, I mean – the expression on his face changes. <laughs> yeah, uh, this is a guy who hadn't caught a ball yet, you know, in terms of a, an Ohio State football troop football practice. And yet I think Brian Hartline sees him as a near can't miss guy. So when the guy who not only is coaching the receivers, but is going to be probably calling the plays and uh, having a lot to say about who is in and who isn't in uh, the lineup from play to play from ser- series to series, you got to figure Ennis is going to get his shot sooner rather than later. So I agree with you 100%. By the end of week four, uh, Andy picked Jihad Carter, the transfer uh, safety from Syracuse. 
Who did I pick, uh, Andy? The Terminator. The Terminator, <laughs> Jelani Thurman. So you go first, and then I'll talk about the Terminator. Yeah, I, I covered the ACC for quite a bit, and, and Jihad Carter was was in that mix with Syracuse when I was finishing up my time covering Boston College. And this was a three-year starter for a Syracuse defense that at times has been okay. You know, I think Syracuse doesn't get a lot of attention, but he was a great piece for them and, and honestly could have rounded out his career there as a all-ACC performer every year as a starter there in the ACC. So he's someone that comes over after an impressive coverage season last year he really had some of the best numbers of any ACC safety. When you look at, you know, I think the longest catch he allowed last year was 19 yards. He had three interceptions, only allowed one touchdown. He had an impressive game against Clemson where he had nine tackles and interception and returned a fumble more than 70 yards for a touchdown. He's yeah. someone that's around the ball. He can cover well. And as we know about for Ohio State safety's big concern, considering the way last year ended. And I know he wasn't talked about a ton in the spring, but he was just getting his feet wet. And while I think Cam Martinez will play a role for this team, and I'm also excited to see what he can do, I just think that there's going to be a timeshare at that nickel spot. And the one advantage for Jihad Carter is that he can play anywhere. He can play at nickel. He can play at the strong safety side. He can play at the boundary side. Uh, and he can be the adjuster. So he's really just someone that you can move around. And Jim Knowles loves players like that. And he talked about how he's so coachable this spring. And when the when your defensive coordinator is harping on how coachable you are, you just have to think that he's going to play some kind of role. Yeah. You know, it's too bad you don't have much of an opinion about Jihad Carter. Um, I'm, uh, <laughs> I'm, you know why I'm looking at the Terminator, Jelani, uh, Jelani Thurman. I mean, this guy caught your eye the first practice we got to watch. And, of course, he and Carnell Tate lost their black stripes really fast in spring they had only been on campus for like less than you know basically three months that tells you that the coaches uh have in mind something for these guys you know whether they want to reveal it or not at this moment uh i don't really care i know you got to know how they're thinking just by their actions right uh july thurman gives them that big presence uh to go with with cade stover uh you know, Joe Royer's going to play and all these other guys. But Jelani Thurman, man, just jumps out at you when you see him. And, you know, and it's funny how a guy, this sounds, can almost command attention from the other team just by the way he looks. You know what I mean? I mean, uh, uh, that's why I think he's got even a shot of getting in there sooner rather than later because he did play well in the spring uh, and – uh, I think the coaches have things in mind for him. Like I said, they've tipped their hand. So I'm going with Jelani Thurman, the Terminator, to make a to make an impression sooner rather than later. And then finally, you know, the QBs. You know, it was a stalemate. But I, you know, I got to write these things down. You picked Kyle McCord to be the starter going into game one. I put McCord, but then I put a parentheses question mark in in close parentheses just because I wanted to, uh, you know, kind of like hedge my bets there. Kind of like instead of win, place, and show, just bet them to show. And if they win, hey, you win a little bit of money. But uh, but the bottom line is, uh, well, I'll let you go with Kyle McCord, and then then we'll then I'll jump into the conversation. Yeah, I mean, I, I kind of fall in line a little bit with what you're saying. I, I do think this is a close battle. I don't think Ryan Day is just saying that. You know, we're at Big Ten Media Days, and uh, James Franklin from Penn State is talking about how Drew Aller isn't isn't the starter officially yet. And everyone yeah. in the room knows, yeah, he is. That's, that's not my case here with Kyle McCord and Devin Brown. I, I actually believe 
it's a close competition. And I wanted to ask you, for someone who's covered the team as long as you have, what quarterback competition reminds you the most of this one between Kyle McCord and Devin Brown? Well, there have been a few. For example, uh, you know, uh, Austin Mockerman and Steve Belisari, way back in like, what was that, 1999, um, they went into the season, they were neck and neck, and all of a sudden, and they both played uh, under John Cooper. And then all of a sudden, uh, uh, Steve Belisari had this huge game, or at least a couple of passes, big game against uh, UCLA, threw a couple of big-time touchdowns, I think, if I remember correctly. Uh, I'll have to go look that up for sure, but it's too late now for this show. But the bottom line was, all of a sudden, it became his job. And I'm not sure they didn't sort of jump to conclusions based on what went on on the field, because I'm not sure he ended up being the best choice at quarterback. And that's no slam on him. Uh, he's the guy that Craig Krenzel uh, uh, had to replace. But uh, but the bottom line is uh, uh, there's a bunch of them. You know, obviously, <clears throat> I thought Dwayne Haskins Jr. and Joe Burrow was much closer than it's now being called at the end of spring in 2018 but they had to make some kind of call they had to give some kind of clarity you know you know you want you want teams to know or you want your team to know who their leader is in one form or fashion and joe burrow instead of making it a hell of a competition in preseason camp opted to go elsewhere i don't blame him his college clock was ticking but i thought that had the makings to be what we're looking at right now and there have been others obviously but uh i'm i'm just Cal McCord and Devin Brown is close, man. And that's why I put the question mark at the end of mine, because uh, Devin Brown, uh, we've seen Cal McCord now for two years as the backup to C.J. Stroud, as you pointed out. He also started in one game against Akron his freshman year when they let C.J. Stroud rest his uh, aching uh, throwing shoulder, right shoulder. So uh, he's got that going for him. That's not exactly like going in in the third quarter against Michigan on the road and trailing and leading your team to a victory like Dwayne Haskins Jr. did. But he does have have that on his resume, which Devin Brown doesn't have. <clears throat> but Devin Brown, in my opinion, every time you get to see him, and obviously we didn't get to see him in the spring game because of a broken pinky, uh, broken bone in his uh, right throwing hand, his pinky. Um, Devin Brown gets better every time you see him. And he exudes confidence, in my opinion. Cal McCord, too. Cal McCord's a little bit more a trial, trial lawyer type, kind of like your dad, you know what I mean? I mean, uh, attorney type, although I'm not sure your dad's a trial lawyer to that extent. I'm not talking about suits or something. But the bottom line is Kyle McCord's a, you know, is a pretty of a soft-spoken guy. He definitely gets the job done. But Devin Brown has that flair about him. It's not just his reddish hair. Uh, there's something special about him. He doesn't shy away from competition, as you and as you, Spencer and I, Spencer Holbrook and I talked about uh, last week. So, uh I expect this. I expect both these guys to get a shot. But uh, come the Western Kentucky game, I think they pretty much got to settle on this is the guy. That'll be third game into the season because the next game will be the the, the trip to Notre Dame. Uh, but I don't know if you agree with me or not, but that's the way I'm looking at it. Yeah, I mean, I'm really curious to see if they, they do go and play both quarterbacks in the season because that's something that Ryan Day didn't shut down. And, you know, knowing this program's history, I think the 2015 season obviously pops out of just kind of a mismanagement maybe at the quarterback position of not picking one or the other and, and ending up with quite a bit of grief because of it. And, you know, I think that it's a different regime, it's a different staff, but you're, you're really risking a little bit of that situation where you don't pick one way. I think, like you said, you've got to decide within 
that first four weeks and really before that Notre Dame game because you need someone to have rhythm. You need someone to, to really develop some kind of, you know, chemistry with these yeah. wide receivers outside of the practice situation. And if you're going one quarterback for one half, one the other half, you're not getting all those game situations. I think Kyle McCord, as you mentioned, is a little bit more reserved in in this the public speaking way. But I did think it was cool to watch in the spring, the moment he had at the end of that one scrimmage where he ran the ball in for a touchdown. And I think they ended up calling it back a few times, but he was charged up and, and he was yeah. pretty electric himself. So I think both those guys have been challenged this summer by Mick Marotti as being leaders for this team. I think they're both really talented. We saw in the spring game, Kyle McCord make some throws boundary to boundary that are really difficult to make and show why he was a five-star quarterback. Then again, in the spring before he got hurt, we saw Devin Brown make some of the most highlight-worthy throws. And, you know, I think the big thing will be, can they just do enough to drive this car? I mean, the the Ferrari analogy is pretty much overused with Ohio State, but it's true. You got it's a sports true. car and you can't crash it. And you got all the toys around you, right? So he just needs to be able to do enough. That's my concern with Devin Brown. I think he's so talented, but I think even in his high school career, sometimes he did a little bit too much, you know, trying to be a little bit too much of a gunslinger, running where maybe he should have tried to throw the ball away. And I think we saw a little bit of that in the spring, and I would have liked to see it in the spring game, how it would pan out, because Kyle McCord faced a lot of pressure too. And I thought he did a pretty good job of knowing when to throw it away or get the ball out. But I think that that'll be the big thing. With this offensive line situation, who can protect the ball and know when to get it out at the right time. I think their arm strength profile is very similar. Yeah, and as uh, as Ryan Day uh, didn't hint, he basically said emphatically they're going to try to put them in as close to simulation, real-time game kind of situations with the exception of letting them get hit big time because, uh, you know, no matter how deep you think your quarterback room is, man, you never you never want to lose a guy uh, by, by something stupid in practice. Uh, and then they're going to be judged. Like Ryan Day said, man, I'm going to write a story about this uh, – later this week uh like ryan day said man if a play action on a play action when a guy breaks open you got to convert that play you know don't not just a slight overthrow and man i mean the, the the coaches are looking for not perfection but they're looking for just execution on a high level uh through the through the through preseason camp because you've had both of these guys have had time to learn the system, to understand the system, to study what it's all about, it, even to study the defense that keeps coming at them hard every every day, every play. Uh, so they're going to be looking for execution, throwing to the right guy on time or throwing to the next guy uh, and when you go through your progressions on time, uh, getting running when you really need to run and maybe running that zone read option some, like we're talking about, is Ryan Day has said the running game for the quarterback is back in play now because they feel pretty good about the depth in that regard. They also feel really good about the abilities of both Devin Brown and Cal McCord to run the ball. So this is going to be a very interesting preseason camp in that regard. I wish we got to watch every practice because really it kind of comes down to that, man. It's, it is an accumulation, kind of like a baseball season. What's your batting average at the end of it all, right? We should have a pretty good pulse, though, because we got to watch a lot of spring practice, which I know has not always been the case for this program. And we did see some of those missed throws. We yeah. did see both Kyle McCord and Devin Brown struggle sometimes in third down period. Now, that's spring practice, and you're going into more reps than they've ever had before in that situation. I want to see now, compare that to what we saw in the spring, 
it's what we're seeing in fall camp. And if we can see a noticeable difference between one or both the quarterbacks, that gives us a real pulse of what this competition is looking like, not just judging the spring game or whatnot. So we'll actually have some valuable experience there to see and kind of compare from what we didn't see maybe in the spring. Yeah. And as I keep going back to this, man, you know, I think they've got two very capable quarterbacks uh, to run this, to drive this Ferrari, uh, to drive this uh, Tesla model, whatever the one that accelerates uh, ridiculously, uh, whatever you want to call it. I mean, uh, they've got the weapons on hand and I think they've got the quarterbacks to make it run. My big question continues to be, are they going to get the offensive line in order uh, going into that Indiana game? Because Indiana is going to test both the quarterback's metal, metal uh, uh, in terms of standing there and making making decisions because they're going to blitz the hell out of Ohio State. You just got to figure that. They're going to play games because of, with three new starters on the offensive line and a new starter quarterback, why wouldn't you? That's your shot, right? Yeah, you have nothing to lose. Zero blitz all day. I mean, I yeah. feel like they're just going to send, well, send everything that, Throw the yeah, kitchen yeah. sink. Well, I mean, why not, right? You're Tom Allen. You're, you're probably maybe in your last year there. You got to try something. Like, <laughs> yeah. I mean, you got to do something to, to at least get up, you know, maybe force a turnover in the first series of the game, and maybe you, you start with a lead. You got to try something. Indiana's been blown out by Ohio State time and time again the last few years. They're going to get some kind of wrinkle. I'm sure they will. They've got a lot of time to prepare for Ohio State. I'm not saying circle the calendar, upset alert. I'm just saying that, as you mentioned, whoever is starting quarterback is going to face some pressure. Yeah. And they're going to get tackled for the first time. Maybe, you know, who knows? Maybe they won't get tackled. Who knows? Who knows, Andy? They may just cruise right through this season, man. But, hey, uh, we, we know we're going to be talking about the Indiana uh, the game of this opener with Indiana. I mean, one of the pre, one of the premier programs in the country, Ohio State, going on the road uh, against a conference opponent. The last time uh, it'll be uh, East Division foe uh, at Indiana uh, because obviously they're going to no no divisions next year. We'll get into some of that stuff in later podcasts again because still not a fan of that. But uh, uh, that's neither here nor there at this point. But uh, Andy Backstrom, once again, thanks for joining me on the Tim May podcast, on the Tim May show, excuse me. I have trouble saying the Tim May show. Uh, I don't know why that is because I said it for so long, the Tim May podcast, but thanks for joining me again, my man. Well, it's both a show and a podcast, so you can get it everywhere. And it's a show here on YouTube. So love to join you, Tim. Yeah. And tell your dad, tell your dad to provide us some notes with you on where we can improve, but uh, <laughs> maybe that'll come next week. But until next week, ladies and gentlemen, for Andy Baxter, this is Tim May. We will see you then.